up, everybody? Welcome back to another Out of Character. Happy New Year. I hope you had a fantastic time celebrating. I know I did. This was my first time ringing in a new year with my wife rather than my girlfriend. And it felt really nice to start off the year with her by my side. Now, don't get mad at me, but we got a best of this week. I was celebrating the holidays. We've been doing things. I didn't want to bug people during the holidays to do an interview with me for an hour. We'll be back strong next week. I already got the guests scheduled. I'll be in the studio with them. Recording it this week should be a fun conversation. I'm super excited for that. But we're here for a best of episode. And when we do those, I always like to give you a little something extra so we can talk about at least what occurred in these episodes and why I chose them. So first up, we got Amos. And the reason I chose this one first is because I think when people ask me, what was your favorite interview on the show or who was your favorite guest? The question always varies. But but for me, you know, as much as it, as much as I think it's as much as I'm, I'm I'm in awe of some of these names that I interview sometimes, whether it's because of uh, you know how long I followed their careers, how big of a fan I am of them, just how larger than life they are in person when I get to do some of these interviews in person, all of the above. But as a storyteller, as a person who is um, attracted to stories, sometimes for me. My favorite episodes aren't necessarily some huge name that everybody, you know, in the world will know that's going to get a million downloads. For me, I really like getting to the bottom of interesting stories in people's lives that that brought them to where they are today. So, before Amos, Reggie was one of those stories and I've talked about it a bunch of times, but honestly, Amos is right there with Reggie just because his life story is just so fascinating. Like the fact that He's gone through so much to get to where he is today, and he's been thrown so many hurdles along the way. It, to me, is just, it, it makes me a bigger fan of his, and I was already a fan of his. Uh, but on top of that, just the story itself, to me, is something I'm never going to forget just because of the fact that it was just, I don't know, man, just to hear someone accomplish, I shouldn't even say accomplish, to see someone uh, that dealt with so much adversity from where he came from and having no electricity growing up to then finally getting to the United States, which is what we get into in this portion of the best of. Uh, it's his story of you know him moving to the United States on his own and then you know moving up and in, in, in doing what he came out here to do and then learning that he had something really dangerous happening within his body that he had to take care of all of it is so fascinating and I'm so happy that he got through all that and that we still get to witness a moss I haven't seen him on TV in a few weeks but uh hopefully when he comes back he's stronger than ever but until that here's a portion of my interview from Wrestlemania weekend in person with a moss so then from that how long was it until you moved to the United States um I moved to the United States when I was 15, going on 16. Um, it was originally, my, it was supposed to be my, my mom. My brother was born here, so he had to come a couple of years prior. He was in Indiana, and it was supposed to be my, myself, my mother, and my younger brother supposed to come. But due to the immigration process, because I already had a scholarship, 
they didn't want to hinder me. So they said, you know what, we're going to ship you by yourself, 15-year-old kid, go by yourself and, you know, go to America and go figure it out. And that's what happened. Did you speak English at that point? Yes. Okay. So a lot of people don't know this, but Nigeria was colonized by the British. Okay. Yeah, so English is the first language. We have other languages that we speak, but... Yeah, because I just, right before, I heard you speaking in a different so, language than other guys, yeah, so, so I wasn't so, sure. So, that, so that's my native tongue. It's called Yoruba, okay. which is another language, which is one of, which is the, one of the primary languages in Nigeria, which is, which is what I speak, but I also speak English as well. So is your family here now? Uh, no. No, really? They're still yes. in Nigeria? My mom and my brother's in Nigeria. My dad's in Nigeria. My older brother and his daughters live in Indiana, though. So I get to see them every now and then when I go up there for a live show. So where did you move when you came out here? I <laughs> So originally, I was supposed to move to, I was supposed to go to Montverde in Florida, okay. which is one of the top prep schools in the country, right? And then something happened with the immigration process. It got delayed. And then it got switched to Marshall's Christian in Maryland. Okay. Markville, Maryland, which is the same high school Kevin Durant went to. The same coach. So I go there, this is January 8th, 2008. Man, it's cold as heck. I've <laughs> never seen winter in my life. This is my first time seeing snow, and it was a huge weather shock. <laughs> Would you say that was the biggest culture shock that you had to deal with oh, when you got yeah, out oh here? Oh my God, it was, because being in Nigeria, it's, Nigeria is like Texas and Florida, right? It's, it rains, it's sunny all around, it's humid. So I'm used to that type of weather. But to go to a state where it's freezing and it's snow. And I remember my dad had ordered some like winter stuff for me from Dubai. And I, I was like, okay, this should work. And I got at the airport. I'm like, nah, this is not good enough. I need something else. This is not doing anything. <laughs> In that same article, I, talked, I, I laughed because it, it gave a frame of reference of like how long ago this was because it says that. You know, you went into a store and you bought a Zoom player. Oh my God. Because you wanted something out here. And I was like, God, I haven't heard the term Zoom player in so long. So, uh, so the story that was, when I was in Nigeria, my cousin, I had cousins, more after cousins who would travel overseas that would come back, right? And when they would come back home, someone came with, a, with an iPod video, the video one. And I was just so enamored of this little thing like this so you can, you guys remember the old iPod, you can twist, you know, the little circle and dot, <laughs> and you can watch the music videos on it. And I was just like, this is amazing. So I wanted one, but we couldn't afford it. And I remember when I came, my parents and my family put $1,000 in my sock when I got on that flight, right? And I had a layover in Atlanta. So I got lost in the airport, missed my flight, so I'm stuck in Atlanta. I'm like, okay, I'm here, I might as well go see, you know, see some shopping. I see the, uh, what's the name of this place called? The Info, the little electronic shop in, at the airports. What's it called? Where they sell, sell electronics at the airport? Okay. It's, a, it's a major one, I forget the name. I'm having a brain fart. But I see it, I'm like, Oh, they probably sell iPods here. So I go there. I'm like, do you have an iPod? And they're like, oh, it's Christmas. It's a holiday. So we all sold. I'm like, okay, what's the next best thing? And they're like, oh, yeah, we have an iPod Zoom. I look at it. And if, if you remember the iPod, I'm sorry, the Microsoft Zoom. Oh, yeah. It looks very similar. It looks exactly the same, yeah. <laughs> like the, the iPod video. So I'm like, oh, it's cool. Does it do the same thing? Like, yeah. It was like, how many gigs is it? It was like 120 gigs. I'm like, okay, give it to me. So I bought it. So that's how I bought the Zoom. I love that your parents, in the, in the village you came from, Nigeria, gave you $1,000 on your way out as, like, emergency money to, like, hold on to since you were going to the United States alone. And you were like, great, Zoom, let's do it. I mean, what do you... <laughs> <laughs> like, I was mean, you, like, food money I, for a few months. I mean, know? what do you think? You give a 50-year-old that <laughs> lot of money, what do you think was going to happen? <laughs> what were some other things that you did to get acclimated to the United States? Man, that... Come again? What are some other things that you did, like when you got out here, that were just like a trip to you, or that you did to get acclimated to being out here? 
delivery service. Yeah. That was a shock. Getting food delivered was different. I remember having, because I had the label in Atlanta, and it was like, I could order food and then deliver it to your hotel room. I'm like, really? Order me a box of pizza, some wings. I, I didn't know what I'm ordering, you know? So I'm just, I'm like, it was amazing just to have that type of service. We don't have that in Nigeria. Back then, they do now, but back then, that was non void. That was not available. So I read the article on you, but for these people here who didn't, it's a great article, by the way. Go check it out. It's really interesting. It has a bunch of info on him. But uh, tell them about how you found out that you had the tumor on your pituitary gland. So I remember um, I went to the University of South Florida in Tampa, and I had, I had a partial clarification from the NCAA that year, which meant that I could practice with the team, but I couldn't travel and play games, right? So I had a year off. I just come off an ACL injury. So I was rehabbing and practicing. And I remember one of the home games right before Match Madness, um, we were playing Cincinnati. We won the game. And then um, the next day, it was, a, it was a game on Sunday. And that Monday, um, we go to regular, do everything, study hall, practice, classes, and then go to practice. And I go to the, to the training room to get taped. And then the, one of the trainers tells me, hey, the coach wants to see you. And I'm not a very competitional person. So I'm like, oh, sucks. What did I do? You know? I said, let's go upstairs. So I go upstairs. And he's like, hey, um, take a seat. So I got this email this morning. And I want you to read it. And it was an email from, from a doctor. His name is Dr. David Vesely. And the president, it was sent to the president of the university. Dang. And my coach was CC'd in the email. Crazy. Right? And my coach said to me, I don't know who this guy is, but he seems a very high up guy on, on, the, on the campus. But I want you to look at this email. So I read it, and it just said that, hey, I noticed that one of your guys uh, told Lockley, you know, that's my first name, Omar Behin. You know, big guy, but I think he has a tumor by the size of his face and the size of his hands, and he has a pituitary tumor, and needs to get checked out ASAP. And I'm reading this email like, no way, I'm fine. And I look at my coach, he's like, what do you think? I said, I don't think I have anything, but hey, I'm going to do it just so I can have my peace of mind. I try to shut him up. Uh, now Wednesday, they set up an MRI appointment. I go to the MRI. It takes about a couple of days. That following Monday, come to practice. Go to the trainer's room. They're like, nah, go upstairs to the coach's office. I walk into the coach's office. It's the president of the university. The, all the doctors are in there. All the students are in there. And they're like, so uh, this is the MRI right here, right, of your brain. And you see that little speck right there? I'm like, yep. You say you have a brain tumor. I'm just like, oh, Lord. And they said, we don't know whether it's benign or it's a cancerous tumor, and we're gonna have to put you on the science wall and figure out how to deal with this. So it was a little bit of a shock um, to me because, you know, when you take ACL, you can always come back and control it. You can do rehab and, you know, get stronger and faster. And I told my ACL twice, but it's cool. I was like, that's easy. This one was such a curveball because it was out of my control. I could not literally control anything. and. I remember I had to do the first surgery <laughs> that year, and it was that was uh, that was very very trying for me because. How long after the MRI was that? Um, literally a month. Okay. A month and a half. I had the surgery, and it had to go through my nose, and it was it was very very traumatic because I remember coming back because what happens is, and you guys don't know this, but when you have a there's a thing in your brain called the pituitary, right? And when you have a tumor, it messes with all your hormones, right? Your hormones, you know, so testosterone, estrogen if you're a woman. Um, and when they went, also your thyroid as well. And when they go in there to take out this tumor, 
there's a very, very high likelihood that it messes up, it messes up your hormones in totality, right? And when it, when it, when, when it had that surgery done, it did, right? So I had the surgery in 2012, which is my freshman year. And come to find out my IGF-1 levels, which is, so when you have a pituitary tumor, your body produces too much growth hormones and it makes you larger, right? Yep. But in the process of doing the testing, they found out that not only did I have the pituitary tumor, I had the gigantism, and I had partial, I had partial Cushing's disease, which is very rare. In, what is, and what's that? So it's different forms of large human beings, okay. but it's like different variations. And I had all, com all three combinations. Like, like Andrew had um, um, agromegaly, which is one of them. And I have that. Dang. But I had the other three combined with it. So my case was very, very unique. And it was the first time in the uh, in medical history that I'd seen someone with that, with all three together. Wow! Right. So it became it became I became this sort of uh, anomaly in the medical world. Like, oh my god! Especially to endocrinologists. Like, so you're like in medical books, probably. Pretty much. I had, a, I had a journal published about me about, about my case, um, and it was weird because they're like, "This is weird." I've had I've had professors ask me to come meet the students so they can, you know, they can talk to me and you know, you know, just get feedback. Because it's rare that you find a patient like me, very rare. So um, that threw a cough ball in there. And I remember having the first surgery, and I was doing well. But they found out that my IGF, my levels weren't coming down. So I had to do another surgery again the following year. And how long from the first surgery was that? That was a year apart, literally. So I had to do another surgery again. And once I did that surgery, all my hormonal levels literally started. Excuse my language, it's crap. It's okay, Randy Orton was here already. Yes. He already okay, all right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, never mind, never mind, never mind. Never mind. All my hormonal levels just went to crap. So, um, even after the second surgery, my levels weren't really down. So, I'm still on medication to this day for my, my, for my tumor to help with my levels. So, that way, I don't keep on growing. And also, my body doesn't produce any testosterone. So, I have to actually take testosterone to help me. Crazy. Because of that tumor. There's a lot of things that affect even my thyroid. So, uh, it do. That, it taught me a lesson that I can't control everything. That was because it was completely out of my hands. There's, there's literally nothing I could do, right? And it kind of got me down for a, for a while. Like it, I had to get used to living with it. But I think now I'm, I'm, I'm used to living with it. Part of my, I, I have accepted it. And where did the part about you almost going blind come in? So before I had the surgery, I used to wear glasses, right? And when I, when I did the MRI, they found out the tumor was pressing against my optical nerves. Oh, right? man. And the I remember the doctor told me, you have literally a month or two months away from going blind. Either going blind, having a cardiac arrest, or having a heart attack. Phew. Well, that's terrible three right? options. Yeah, so it was like, they're like, so we need to get this done as soon as possible. Phew. Like, as soon as possible. And imagine a 18, 18 year old kid and all this being dumped on you all at once. Right? It, it was just, it was very, very overwhelming. God, and only a few years after you had been here. Yep, literally. And I didn't know I had it. They said you probably had it for like 10, 12 years of your life. I didn't even know. Like, did you go to the doctor a lot when you were in Nigeria? I did for the black. So now, now that, let me double back. Now the blackouts make sense. Now, yeah, of course. Now, now, now I think about it, it makes sense. Because back then, they just thought I was growing. They couldn't find anything. And maybe that's because they don't have the technology to figure it out back there. But literally, coming to America saved my life. Next up for this best of, I chose Byron Saxton. Now, Byron Saxton is someone who, you know, you heard if you listened to the Emma episode, he's been in the WWE system for a long time. 
He was in FCW helping behind the scenes, in front of the camera, working. Now, you know, now he's doing his interview thing. He's no longer on commentary every week. But, man, really interesting guy. Someone who plays such a character that we see on TV that we have this idea of. But really an underappreciated aspect, an underappreciated person in the business who has done a lot behind the scenes and and has done a lot in front of the camera uh, over the years. And he's really been a part of, you know, if you watch WWE TV, he's been a part of it for a long time now. So I was really stoked to get him here on the podcast. And because he had been in the company for so long uh, up to this point, I wanted to talk to him about growing as a performer from the ECW brand to what we know of now. And I really gained a newfound appreciation for everything he had done. And I already had appreciation for it before that. But to hear, you know, his journey from the bottom to where he is now, to me, was super fascinating. So here's a brief portion of my conversation with Byron Saxton. What do you remember most about your first time announcing for the ECW brand? So scared to death. Scared to death. Um, I talked about finding myself in FCW. I, there's, I've had to find myself in WWE as well because I remember um, <clears throat> when I first got called up in 2009 to ECW, you know, you, you just want to do a good job. And so it was a natural tendency probably to a fault of mine to go, okay, let me try to be like this person because that's who they have had here in the past. Let me try and announce like that person. Um, so I, I was really, um, I was so thankful to have the chance to be on there, but man, like every week was just so nerve wracking because I just, I, I just didn't want to mess up. And, and by trying so hard, like not to mess up, I wasn't comfortable uh, and I wasn't able to tap into who I am. That mentality, God, I totally understand that. I feel that way with this sometimes where I'm like, I really don't want to mess up on like a good question I had or like don't want to mess up a fact that a bunch of wrestling fans are going to be like, well, he got that date wrong or he got that show wrong. And then I end up getting in my head and messing things up. So I I completely understand that. And I feel like, God, this is on YouTube. It's a lot different than being on national TV with millions of wrestling fans ready to just attack at all times. Yeah, yeah. And, and and even before ECW, not a lot of people know this. Um, and I still to this day don't understand what exactly happened. But probably even less than a year before that, I got a call saying that I was going to make my debut as an announcer. And I remember I, I think I was at the gym or something, so I missed the call. Uh, and But I heard the voicemail. It's like, hey, Byron, yeah, uh, congratulations. You're going to make your debut at Class of Champions uh, as an announcer. I'm like, all right, here we go. So I called back travel. I'm like, hey, I uh, just got your voicemail. just wanted to confirm the details. <laughs> and I get in response, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, no, 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 I got a voicemail. He's like, you guys called me. So I'm coming on the road. It's like, I, I, we didn't call you. I'm like, hold up. And, and, like, and the person who was on the phone with me, I knew it was her voice. Like I, I, I knew I was talking to the right person. And so I called Dr. Tom, uh, Dr. Tom Pritchard, who was one of the head trainers at FCW at the time. My Tom, Doc, like I, I just got a call that I'm going on the road, but I, I called the travel department and they're telling me they know nothing about it. And he's like, well, Byron, just, just have your backpack just in case. It's calm as can be. Well, I'm, I'm freaking out going, am I, am I getting called up or not? So nothing ever happened after that. <laughs> so to this day, to this day, I don't know why I got that call. I don't know why I was told that I was you know, going to make my debut on the road. And it just, 
I felt like maybe I'm the crazy one here. Maybe I'm, maybe it was just one lucid dream or something that. <laughs> do you think now, <laughs> all these years later, do you think that maybe someone did prank call you? No, because I know who it was. Like I spoke to that person on the phone. That's the crazy thing. It was their number. Like, is so it possible just, that they changed their mind and they just tried to like be like, well, don't know where no. Maybe. Did anyone maybe else get call- called up for commentary sh- around that time? Not I, well. Let's see, and I tried to piece it together. Not at the exact time, but I thought that I thought maybe that was the case. Like they accidentally called me and accidentally said my name when it was supposed to be somebody else. But I was like, man, I mean, way to just dangle the carrot. That, that would that would that would drive me crazy. That would drive me absolutely crazy. I I've had stuff. I've had a thing or two happen like that too, where it's like, all right. We're going to call you like all good. And then I just never heard from them again. And you're just left wondering yeah. like, what happened? I don't understand. I thought everything was all good. I was over here stoked. What What's yeah. going on? Well, thankfully it all worked out for you. So you still got called up and, and it worked out just fine. I think it actually prepared me because I've had so many ups and downs and things given to me and taken away. So I think uh, in retrospect, it was good that that happened because it's allowed me to just really uh, embrace the moment of whatever opportunity comes my way and understand it could end tomorrow and cool, whatever, but I'm blessed to have it now and I'm just going to live it up. So were you, you never know how heartbreaks are going to help you out in the future. They all, they all, as terrible as they are, they always end up helping you in the future. Like my fiance and I, we were laughing yesterday. We were watching some dumb reality show and, uh, one of the girls on the show is like, I don't know, early twenties or something like that. And she was so sad about something that she like went to the beach to go sing to herself on her acoustic guitar. And we were like, well, I remember those days, but they always end up (laughs) coming back to help you in the end. You're like, Oh man, I was way too depressed about that thing. You know? So Uh uh, I totally get that. Well, by the time you got to NXT and we're doing the announcing with NXT when the rebrand had happened, um, were you a little more comfortable with your voice on air at that point? Like with the, you know, finding yourself. Yes. Um, and it's just, uh, there's been so many kind of twists and turns. Like I'll, when an FCW, you know, I was, I was, you know, kind of playing more of the heelish guy. So I would kind of translate that into commentary. And then I started becoming more centralized and more of the straight face commentator. And then in NXT, same thing. I did play by play. I did color. So I was always wearing these different hats. So there's always, in an adjustment period here and there, but I, I was more comfortable uh, just because, you know, you're having, having been in the developmental system at the time for as long as I had been, you're so comfortable with the guys and girls that you're working with. Uh, and so, you know, you just kind of, it's, it's sort of like, yeah, we're, we're growing together. And the more the NXT audience was growing, it's like, you know, our team is getting more recognition. So it was just a joy to be part of that team. And so there was a certain amount of pride that came with that as well. And that pride, of course, aided the comfort level. Well, I'm sure, too, like now in retrospect, you know, with everything you just mentioned right there, it has to be it has to feel a sense of pride, kind of like you had said, that you were part of something that now, like even through the changes and whatever, really was special to the industry. I mean, there's people now who are starting in WWE that say that they started watching wrestling because of things that happened at the early stages of NXT and I go like, wow, like that's so crazy to see that this little small thing that grew into this big thing was so influential in such a short amount of time. It's so wild to me. Um, There was a picture circulating online a few weeks ago 
from FCW. It was a photo that was taken, I believe, in 2008, so a year after I signed. And there's probably, I don't know, 40, 50 guys and girls in this photo. And out of all those guys and girls, there's probably maybe five or six of us left in the company right now. Crazy. And uh, But that kind of puts it into perspective. You know, from the days of just working out in this hot warehouse with no air conditioning, surrounded by canned food and FCW, to then uh, there was a time where the building was actually renovated and became state of the art at the time. And I remember guys who came over from OVW were like, man, this FCW, we, we wish that we had this. And then now we look back at FCW, look at the performance center and we're going, man, we wish we had this in FCW. Uh, but it really is, it, it's, it's true. It was a true blessing for me just to see how many stages I've been able to be a part of and to see how many, you know, uh, guys and girls that I've, I've seen start from the beginning become huge superstars, like being able to say, hey, I was there when Charlotte Flair first walked in the door. I was there when Roman Reigns first walked in the door. And I, I've seen their career progress from that warehouse to be some of the biggest stars in our industry. So I'm, I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky and I'm very blessed in that sense. Yeah, I feel like the if there was like a family tree of NXT throughout the wrestling industry, the, the roots would go so far now because of everyone, all the successes everyone has had and the things they've moved on to and the people they've trained. I feel like and, and, th- and you know, in the next 10, 15 years, it's only going to grow bigger, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, it, it's nuts. It's I'll, I'll do live events and the thing that trips me out never fails. I'll have I'll have a little kid that comes up to me. He's like, I used to watch you on NXT. I'm like. Is that where we're at right now? Like, have I? Have I been around that long? Like, you, you, you used to watch me when you were a kid. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm turning into that guy. Next up is someone I wanted on the podcast from like the beginning. But one of the things, one of the things that I tried to stay away from in this show is in character interviews. Or that's one thing. That's why it's called added character. But the other thing that I really try to steer away from is interviewing people who are deep, deep, deep into a character because I don't want to mess it up at all. And for a long time, when I was doing the show, in the beginning, first year or whatever, Alexa Bliss was deep into character doing the dark Alexa Bliss stuff. And so with something like that, I really do try to wait until after they're done with it so we can talk about everything they did and we can gain some newfound perspective on what they were doing. And so with Alexa Bliss... You know, the Alexa, the, the dark Alexa Bliss thing was pretty polarizing. Some people loved it, some people hated it, but everybody was talking about it. And so I really wanted to wait until after all that dark Alexa stuff was over before we dug into her mindset behind it. Now it's interesting because, you know, we when I was talking to Alexa Bliss, when I did this interview, Bray Wyatt wasn't with the company anymore, and she was transitioning back into a version of uh, the original version of her character, it seemed, with a little bit of that Lily stuff involved, but it was, she was definitely, you know, becoming more of the old Alexa Bliss at this, this time, which is why I was able to kind of talk about the stuff she had done with Bray Wyatt. And to me, when I when I heard her perspective on things, it did change my opinion on some of the stuff that she had done with Bray Wyatt. To hear it from her perspective, to hear what she thought of things, to hear the work that she put into it, the motivation she had behind it, really did give me a new respect for everything that she had done during that time. And now it's interesting because we're, we fast forward, it's only been a couple months, but we fast forward, Bray Wyatt's back, and Alexa does seem to be going back to that dark side. 
We're just getting the beginning of the story, but now I wanted to remind you all of some of the things that she said about the Dark Alexa of old as we ease into whatever this new Dark Alexa is going to be. So here's a brief portion of my conversation with Alexa Bliss. Before your hiatus, your character went through a pretty wild story arc for a year involving The Fiend. Looking back on it now, how do you feel about the way it all played out? Oh my gosh. Working with The Fiend, with Wyndham, was the most fun I've ever had in my entire WWE career. He is so brilliant with his creativity and he puts so much effort into his character, so much research. It made me want to step my game up a hundred percent being like, okay, well, he puts this much thought into his character. I need to put twice as much thought in mine um, to be able to at least, because when you step into someone else's kind of gimmick, you don't want to bring it down. Yep. You only want to elevate it. And so I put in so much effort into that and protecting, you know, the character and protecting, you know, when we did the Firefly Funhouse and it was so fun. And I'm very, obviously it's, it's, it, it's very sad that we don't work together anymore because it was so much fun. And I think the WWE universe saw how much fun we were having. Well, it was very evident as from a viewer standpoint that, one, like you said, that you were just throwing yourself into it. Like, you really, you could tell that you were like, this may be com wildly different than what I had been doing before, but, you know, he is such a brilliant mind. You could see that, like, you wanted to step to his level. Like, as, as weird and wild and as crazy as what he was doing was, it was clear that you were like, all right, this is a challenge, and I want to get on that level, regardless of what anyone thinks about it. I jumped fully in. The amount of cult documentaries and the amount of just different scary movies and things I would watch. And even, um, so for me, I wanted to kind of have my character have a bit of an identity crisis. And so with that, that's why I kind of reverted to a child mentality because I know for me personally, at least like when to like get real real about it. So when I had my eating disorders, I, it was a traumatic thing for me. And my brain went back to a childlike defense mechanism. And so I kind of took part of that into my character. So I remember thinking like, okay, what did I like watching when I was a child? I liked watching the big comfy couch. And then, so I got the concept of having Lily from the girl from the comfy couch's doll, Molly. And so I took a lot of like my childhood things that I loved and brought that into the character. And then also took a part of the movie, The Orphan, where the girl's like 30 posing as a child and kind of took that into the character as well. So there was a lot of things of my real interests and real things as a child that I actually brought into uh, the Dark Alexa character. See, that's super fascinating to me because I feel like, and I've wanted to get you on, the, I've been wanting to have you on the show to talk to you about this for the, the entire time I've done the show, but I was like, I'm going to wait till she's not deep in this character and we're, we can really talk about it a little bit. I'm not going to like screw everything up and ruin the, the, the magic of it all. But like a lot of times you hear people in like, you hear a complaint about stuff or they go, oh, creative this, creative that. But then you hear, you know, people on the show like you who say like, man, that was, a lot of that was me, man. Like I was putting a lot of effort into that. Like I really worked hard on a lot of these things. 
over time to try and form this character. And I find that stuff fascinating. Yeah. And for me, it was, it was always, um, it was always too, especially, you know, when the fiend and I got separated, it was, how do I transition this character to make it different than what it was with the fiend? And I don't know if that came across as well, but I really tried to make it different while also protecting what the fiend and I had built with our dynamic. And for me, it was a lot of research. It was a lot of um, working with my acting coach and, you know, especially for the therapy, it was a lot of working with things in my past that caused me, you know, trauma and bringing that out in the therapy sessions. That's why, you know, when they bring out Lily, I looked at Lily like it was my pig Larry. And I remember thinking, like, unfortunately, I had to watch Larry pass. So I remember when in therapy, when the therapist brought out Lily for the first time, I envisioned Larry. So like, it was like, if Larry came back to life, what would I say to him? And that was a lot of research and effort and things that also go into the characters that people may or may not realize or understand that we put so much work into it yeah dude that's a lot of work like that's that's more than i would have expected to be completely honest with you like i you know i think that have you ever taken acting classes or anything like that um i currently work with nacho he is my acting coach i've worked with him uh for about two years now that was something i really wanted to do i wanted to make sure that i was given the right tools, especially I, I started with my acting coach when I started with the fiend okay, because good. I wanted to do the character justice. And so, cause it is, it is a very complex character and I knew that I wasn't able to get to those places to add dimension to the character on my own. So I have been working with an acting coach for over two years now. Well, that's yeah. why I asked. Cause a lot of that, st that makes sense. Cause of some of that stuff that you were saying right there about Larry, Steve and, and, that when I took acting class, when I was doing method acting briefly, that's like one of the the tools they tell you and one of the things they try and train you to do so that um, so that you're not necessarily believing what you're doing like to a full extent, but you can kind of relate and feelings wise and still get there in a different way. Yeah, but also disconnect at the same time, yeah. not submerge into it. But it was so it was. The, the Firefly Funhouse, I see the Firefly Funhouse stuff. It was so fun. It was so great. It was, it's definitely a moment in my career that I will cherish the most because that was the most fun I've ever had. And I, and I got to, I got to have a match against Randy Orton and beat him. <laughs> yes, you technically did have a match against Randy Orton beat him. That is true. I made stuff fall from the sky. You know what I mean? Like that was cool. I, I made fire come out of my hands. Like, it was so cool. <laughs> yeah, so I take it then from you saying that, that you enjoyed getting to lean into all those cinematic elements during the pandemic? Oh, my gosh. Who wouldn't want to shoot fire out of their hands? You know what I mean? Who wouldn't want to make stuff fall from the sky and lights flicker? That's so cool. Well, then, <laughs> since you... <Support. laughs> well, since you enjoyed it so much, then, when you see, like, I think with the Shayna thing, that's what you're talking about there... Uh, and making stuff fall. I think the you know there was a mixed online reaction. Do you not really pay attention to that kind of thing? Do you, do you just kind of like, hey, I enjoyed it. I was into this. I'm moving on to the next thing. Or do you kind of like see that and you go like, well, that's that, that's a bummer. I was really into that. It depends. It depends on what it is. So with anything with uh, the playground Alexa Lily stuff, 
there are so many negative comments, so many negative comments from the day I started till even now. Um, people just hate on it so much. But it, but when I was in that persona, I didn't care because I was having so much fun. And, you know, people were investing because they were buying the Lily dolls. Girls were dressing up as Dark Alexa and guys and girls. And it was that's what I pay attention to. That's what I pay attention. I don't pay attention a lot to, you know, the negative comments on wrestling Twitter because I feel like there's you go to Twitter sometimes when you're looking to read negative stuff because I feel like 90% of it's negative. So most of the time I'll like take some of it into consideration. But with that persona, with the Dark Alexa, no, because I was having so much fun and I knew where I was going with it, my vision, and I was – I was having fun and being entertained by it. And the fact that I would resonate with children so much is what made me not really pay attention to the negativity online. Yeah. I not reading the negativity or not paying, not letting the negativity online affect you is very difficult. And like you said, I do agree. I'm starting to understand that you do that as a person, I do seek out the negative comments uh, subconsciously and it's hard to not do that. And so, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's tough to, to, to be able to kind of like, just say, well, I think I did a good job. The people I work for say I did a good job. That's all that really matters. So here's the worst part too. Cause I remember one time my first therapy session, Oh my God, everyone hated it. Everyone like, not everyone, but that's a little, that's a little, <laughs> but a lot of people hated it. And I was just like, well, let it play out. You know, like I know where it's going. Oh my God. You would have thought that I would have said, I don't even know what, because the backlash I got for that, let it play out. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think the fire stuff and the Shana stuff, I remember being, the, that that was the stuff that people were like, blah, blah, blah on the internet, real mad about <laughs> But if the roles were reversed and they got to be on TV throwing fire at people, don't tell me they wouldn't. They 100% would. No question. They, they would, would 100% do it. They were given the option to be on TV, throw fire at people, make lights flicker, and like make people spit up black goo. Don't tell me they wouldn't. They would. And if they had 100,000 <laughs> people afterwards – talking crap to them about it, they'd be a little affected if they if they understood what that was yeah. like. <laughs> yeah. But no, yeah, that's why now I keep my tweets to very much like uh, about like French fries and, and music and stuff that, you know, I personally enjoy because there's so much negativity out there. I try to just put out a little bit of, a little bit of something, something, you know? I'm trying to get better nice. at that too. It's, it's a process. It's a process. Lastly, for this best of is the Intercontinental Champion Gunta. Now, when I okay, so people ask me sometimes, they say like, "Do you just have these guests given to you? Do you have a say in who's going to be on the show?" Um, I get questions like that often, and the answer is, I do have an input on the show. I usually send like a list of people I'm interested in to WWE. And then we see which ones of those we can get, right? So I have a master uh, wish list, basically. And then it gets updated every couple weeks, right? Uh, so with Gunther and others in the past, you know, you sometimes, you know, with someone like Gunther who's not very online, 
it's hard to get a sense of who they are and if they're gonna if, they're, if you're gonna vibe well and have an interesting conversation with them. Sometimes you're just going into it blind and you get what you get and uh, you see what's gonna happen. And I try my best as a host to to get an engaging conversation out of them. That's my job; it's not theirs. But sometimes, you know, I just I hope I'm gonna be on the same page as them. But I really like with someone like Gunther. Like you, I had no idea what his personality was gonna be like heading into it. And this was one of my the best surprises of the year. You know, he's such a serious dude on TV, and he's got a he's got his character locked in. But in the interview, he was he was so he was awesome. He was great. He wasn't like too serious. We had a very fun conversation. I got interesting stuff about his career that we learned about his moving to America, about whose decision it was to bring him to, you know, to finally come to America, you know, his move to SmackDown, him losing weight, the name change, all that kind of stuff. And sometimes, you know, people can be guarded. And I realized, yes, like I said, it's my job to try and break that down a little bit. And with Gunther, it wasn't even a problem. He was very open. He was very honest. He was insightful, had some deep stuff to say. And I really, really enjoyed my conversation with Gunther. I feel pretty confident that if we see each other in person, He's not going to chop me in the chest, and that makes me feel nice. So if you didn't listen to my full conversation with Gunther, I recommend it. But here's a brief portion of our conversation where he talks where he talks about, like I said, all that stuff. Moving to America, why he finally changed his mind on it, losing weight, moving to SmackDown, all of it. Here's a portion of my conversation with Gunther. How long before your main roster call-up was it before you were told you'd be moving from NXT to SmackDown? Um, it was more or less, it was, a, it was my call to, to move over. Um, was there like an open kind of like, we're ready for you whenever type thing? Mm, yeah, it was more like, um, the first thought was bringing me over to NXT, uh, stateside, but just in like blocks, like stay for a few weeks and then go back for a few weeks and stuff like that. Um, but I told them that at the end of the day, like, Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move over. Uh, that's it now. So that's actually what happened. Like they never really pushed me into that. Like right from the get go, when I signed a contract with WWE, they knew my, yeah, my positioning on that and my opinion. And I told them that up front. Um, but they never really pushed me for it. They offered it uh, like quite often, but <laughs> at the end of the day, I think before I told them, we haven't talked about it for a good two or three months or something. Dang, that's crazy. So. That's pretty cool that you had the ball in your court like that, that it was just kind of like up to you on when you wanted to make the decision to to, to do it. Yeah, it was. I think it's a very unique situation for me, and I'm really thankful that it went down that way. Um, and I also always had, like, I think I had a good connection to uh, Triple H, but I think the even better connection to, uh, to Shawn Michaels um, and a good understanding. Um, they had a good understanding for me and for my situation and stuff. Um, but like I said, in the back of my head, it was always kind of, it was kind of clear to me that I have to come because that's the thing in this profession is not like any other where you just stay at one point where you're comfortable and you're just going to stay there for the rest of your career. Um, in a, as a wrestler in your career, there's either the way up or the way down. There's no, you can't be stagnant. You either develop or you drop. And yeah, that was my final thought. And I was like, okay, it's time to go. Well, then since 
you know, there's moving and there's there's the process afterwards. Then how when how long was it before from when you told them you were ready to move to America to when they were like, okay, we're gonna bring you to SmackDown now? Um, yeah, I I found out about yeah, going to SmackDown. I think it was the WrestleMania. Yeah, WrestleMania Sunday it was. Yes, they called us and be like, hey, uh, you come to SmackDown on Friday. Uh, we're getting going. Uh, we're getting started. Um, yeah, and that was just those few days basically. Um, but I can't. But I knew it was coming anyway. So when I moved over, it was pretty clear that where I'm gonna end up that I should move up to the main roster and be part of any of the brands there. Um, so it was more or less just I was ready to go anyway. Do you know what the reason for the name change was at all? I mean, I guessed it. Walter is my real name. Um, and as a, from the, from the side of the company, it makes a lot more sense if you actually can have some ownership on the name of an athlete that you kind of like, yeah, present or, uh, put out there to an audience. So I kind of expected it, uh, but it, it was fine for me. So. Did, did you have any input on the new name at all? Did they come to you and say, you got any ideas or anything like that? Or was it, did they send a list to you or anything like that? I mean, my point was always like, Walter is a very old name. Like even in Austria, like my dad is named Walter. So I'm basically Walter Jr. Um, so it's more like a older people's name. It's like, like nobody age 30 usually is called Walter. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't um, know. My my uh, grandpa, my, my stepmom's dad is named Walter, and he's eighty nine years yeah, old. So it's like it's perfect. <laughs> so uh, at the end of the day, it was like okay to fit that character and stuff like that. It will be some old German name, and at the end of the day, there's no. There were a few no goes. I told them that I would have thought are awful, like Hans or Franz or something like that. But then Gunther would be one of those that I thought, yeah, would be a lo- logical choice anyway. There's not that many. Was there any talk of uh, of capitalizing the whole name? Because I always liked how you did that with Walter, and then now it's normal. It's all normally written. I'm like, well, I'm used to Cap in his whole name. Oh, is it normally written now? I didn't even say, look on, on my think, screen here. Wait, well, on uh, uh, there it is, but that's because we like, normally do that. Wait, hold on. I'm going to go WWE.com because I'm pretty sure, like, when you come out and make your entrance, it. Hold on. Let me. Do, <laughs> now I need to know because I'm not sure. Out. I think it is. Wait, hold on. Now, hold on. I'm looking on WWE.com right now. I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. We're at the J. Okay, hold on. Went too far. Yeah, no. Lowercase for the rest of it. Lowercase for the rest uh, of it. So you you would to... like it to be all capitalized too then, right? Yeah, if it, I actually kind of thought it was, but I think I, re, I think I have to say something about it now. So <laughs> you you sh- you should say something to it. I don't know why it adds it adds like something extra. I don't know why it just feels a little more powerful when it's all caps. <laughs> it is. I think I I, I got the the Walter in all caps. I always loved it in Japan when the the Japanese heels would just write their name in full caps. They would just have because usually the in in Japan it's even it's it's way more sports presentation uh, oriented so they always just have their full names like first name and last name and the heels would always just have one name and all in caps 
I love that. So I, I thought like I need to get that. I love it too. That's why I, I always figured that's where the inspiration was. But I love it too. Yeah, push. Just give him a little elbow. Be like, uh, you know, <laughs> the caps was a thing. Uh, what's the biggest difference for you so far between NXT and SmackDown? Um, I think at the end of the day, when it comes to what happens in the ring, wrestling is wrestling. It doesn't matter. Like for me, at least, it doesn't matter if it's in front of fifty people or if it's in front of a bunch of bunch of thousand people. Um, what obviously makes a difference is like the all the happenings around it. Um, there are way more people involved. A lot more uh, stuff has to happen in a shorter amount of time. Um, it's not too different, but it's obviously just NXT is like a. Uh, I would say NXT it's like a little bit stricter organized. Uh, because the people involved are less experienced, I would say, like the, the talent and stuff, while it's a little bit more relaxed, I would call it, uh, on SmackDown is fine, like as, as long in, in my experience, because everybody's like also way more experienced and can get all the stuff done, like tech, 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 one after the other. Um, everything has its little routine. So yeah, it's a little bit more, uh, relaxed in the terms of nobody's like really, tense or uh, freaked out about what they have to do. That's great. Okay, I want to ask you about your weight loss journey because I feel like, you know, you've how much weight have you lost since you started losing weight? Mm, I think it must be around 60 pounds now Damn. or something, 65. Damn, so what prompted yeah. you to do that? Um, it was also like, first of all it was always, I loved the look of the, yeah, big Japanese heavyweights, the the Stan Hansons and Terry Gordy and Beta, Scott Norton, like those junky foreign heavyweights. Um, I always loved that look and I always think that look really suited my style. So I never really saw in, how should I say, there was never any big reason for me to be like, okay, let's change that. And also nobody ever said that to me either. It's like when I was signed, I was like, you see the pictures there. When I was signed, I was around that size. Um, and nobody ever saw that as an issue or something like that. It just fitted me. Um, but now there was always the thing, the thing of change too. I kind of knew it's moving, moving over here is going to change some stuff, even though I didn't know exactly what it was, but I always kind of, I kind of thought it like I have to, I have to do my part. I have to show that I'm adapting and I have to show that I put the work in, uh, for change. Um, and I think that was the most obvious choice. Um, and also going forward, I knew I would be on main roster. It's like a national television show. Um, that's seen not just by wrestling hardcore fan, that's seen by everybody, regular people. Um, and looking like I look now, I will be more appealing and standing out more than looking like I looked the way before, because I think in the context I was performing before, I think I got taken serious and I got away with being like a serious competitor like that. But I think if you're like in the top league on national television every week and you want to represent a top tier athletes, you have to be in shape to do so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything you said there, it's funny. Everything you said there is, is, is basically what I assumed, you know, challenging yourself, wanting to look better when you came to the main roster. And, and it's interesting because it's, it's, What's fascinating to me about it is it kind of some of the things you talked about in there of like 
there was nothing wrong with the way you looked before. It fit your character. It, it fit the badass vibe you were going for. It fit the look you were going for. It fit what you were building towards. Um, and I would think that it'd be almost nerve-wracking in a way to be like, okay, well, I want to get in shape for me, for all those things that you said. But how, were you worried on how it might affect the way your character was perceived? Oh, no, not at all, I got to say. Um, like I said before, it was just, I couldn't really... Because that that's the crazy thing about it now, I gotta say, because if I compare the pictures now, obviously I'm like, Oof. you were kind of like a big dude. <laughs> <laughs> because I because I never saw myself like that before. I always felt good. I always like I never had an issue in the ring, stamina wise, like it doesn't matter. Like I always was fine with everything. Um, but now comparing the pictures, I'd be like, Man, you let yourself go. But like you said, it was fine for what it was before. And now it was a little bit of a gamble to be like, okay, you changed it up. It's a big change, but whatever. Now with the slight change of our look and also the the name change, it felt way more like a a rebranding or like a transformation rather than just being the same guy with a different name. So I think I was a little bit able to create a little bit of a new person when it came to the uh, when it came to the looks, uh, but I didn't really worry about. Because at the end of the day, it didn't make no sense. Like, what should I have to worry? Like, there's no, don't think there's only going to be any downside with losing some extra weight. No, there's definitely no downside to, to losing weight whatsoever. I was just thinking from like a, you know, a method acting pers perspective, you go like, well, that guy was a, you know, that Walter was a big guy. But what you said is exactly perfect. I mean, like you said, you knew you had a restart coming soon, most likely. So it was like, why not do everything possible so that when that restart happens, I'm in the best possible form that I can be in. And so, I mean, that led yeah. you to get the Intercontinental Championship very fast when <laughs> getting on the main roster. So, I mean, it, clearly <laughs> you showing all these things did help your case for when you finally got there. Yeah, no, definitely 100%. And also, like I said, timing wise, it was kind of perfect because I did, I started the diet like mid last year, but it was a little bit on, off, relaxed. They were, uh, I wasn't really able to focus 100% on it. And then, uh, me and my wife, we traveled a lot before I moved to, uh, because before we moved to America, we spent a lot of time in different European countries and stuff like that to make the most out of it. And then, when I moved over there, there was David and Marcel were already in fantastic shape and they obviously helped me grind through that and uh, pushed me big in training. So I definitely couldn't have done it uh, without them in that case, too. All right, that's this week's show. Like I said, next week we'll be back with a brand new episode. I promise if you've gotten this far, I'll give you a little hint from right in case, if, unless that something changes. It's going to be someone from NXT. I'm going to start off the year with an up-and-coming superstar. Don't tell anyone, though. Just keep that between you and I, okay? Uh, also, if you're, if you're still listening to this and you've gotten this far, hook it up with a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. On Spotify, you can just click the stars. But on Apple Podcasts, you can leave an actual review where you write words down. And I read them on the show's... So please, please, please go leave us a review. It helps out a lot. Also, make sure you're subscribed to the show as well. Also, don't forget, go subscribe to the WWE on Fox YouTube channel. That's where you can find Out of Character on video every Wednesday. 
You can also find YouTube shorts there. There's a community tab. There's clips from Raw and SmackDown. There's so much going on there. So make sure you are subscribed to the WWE on Fox YouTube channel. Also, follow WWE on Fox on social media. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. We're on all of them. So make sure that you are following us there. Happy New Year. Appreciate you listening. But for now... That's it. I'm done. Officially tapping out. Till next time, I'm Ryan Satin, and this has been Out of Care.